Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From the Financial Times, this is Hard Currency. In a week that has seen the market digest the implications of the Fed holding pat on interest rates, it's back to some familiar themes on the Forex front. Bad news out of China, dramatic sell-offs in EM and commodity currencies. This is Roger Blitz and welcome to the FT's Hard Currency podcast, a weekly delve into Forex, the world's biggest market. The week has still thrown up some shocks. On the corporate front, it's Volkswagen's dramatic emissions confession, but China's manufacturing base was revealed to have contracted at its fastest pace in six years. And that is making itself felt in FX. The Brazilian real dropped 2% on Tuesday to break through the 4 real mark, while we had a knocky shocky on Thursday. The Norwegian central bank cut rates, driving the Norwegian krona down 2%. Are we entering another bout of turbulence in FX? What is the new reality for FX in this China-fixated climate? Well, with me to discuss the implications of these is Marvin Barth, head of European FX strategy at Barclays. Marvin, welcome. Barclays this week has brought out its quarterly FX review. How have you adjusted your FX thoughts in light of the turbulence of recent months? Well, a lot of this does come back to your point about China and the fact that China clearly is slowing down. The extent of that slowdown is, of course, a question as part of what's adding to the volatility here is that there is a lack of certainty around those issues. And so we've adjusted our forecasts, assuming that China is slowing at a moderate pace, but we note that there are significant risks around that forecast. So the places that get hit most significantly are obviously emerging Asia. So we've revised down our forecast there. We've revised down our forecast for commodity currencies who are very dependent on China as well. Commodity currencies in general globally have that issue. And then also, I think actually most strikingly is that we've revised upwards our forecast for dollar renminbi. And you know they seem, I think on the face of it, relative to the consensus rather out of consensus and large, but we actually don't think so. And I think the reason is that we do think that you'll start to see more of a shift in focus by the Chinese government on the trade-weighted renminbi. And in an environment where the dollar is appreciating against other currencies, actually, you know, dollar renminbi up to 680 by the end of this year or to you know seven by next year actually is keeping the renminbi in trade-weighted terms relatively stable. So they can continue to say, hey, we're not depreciating our currency. It's the dollar is appreciating. Okay. So you're, you're pretty bearish, though, on China. I mean, what did you make of the manufacturing data this week? So clearly, the manufacturing sector or the old economy in China is in significant decline here. The question is always, how much of this is actually taking the form of rebalancing? Is the whole economy in trouble? Or is it just that the sectors that have built China over the last 20 years are naturally being rebalanced away towards a more domestically oriented economy? If that's the case, the story is probably not as bad, right? And the retail sales numbers and other indicators have 
haven't been that bad. There's GDP is probably still overstated, but we do have this question about how much is that rebalancing really taking place, and also to what extent are you going to get income shocks from the old economy sector affecting the new economy, the services and consumption that we think and the Chinese government have suggested are going to fuel their growth from here. I mean, meanwhile, a slowing manufacturing base is going to hurt their suppliers in the EM world. And so, just looking at that EM world. We should first look at the Brazilian real, which may look like a dramatic fall, this two percent fall on Tuesday. But in reality, probably it's not that surprising. Although we did have the intervention from the Brazilian central bank about increasing swap lines. I mean, first of all, you're expecting further depreciation in Brazil, but presumably elsewhere, like South Africa and Turkey,、yes. Malaysia, and so on. We're predicting、uh, further depreciation of all emerging market currencies versus the dollar.、And、this is an environment where the dollar looks not only like the best place for returns, but increasingly a safe place to put your money. At the same time, that emerging markets, much as you at the FT have suggested, need a new growth model, and that growth model has been driven so much by China, particularly for significant commodity producers like Brazil, like South Africa. They are suffering from the after effects of a switch that rotation that's taking place in China's economy. But in Brazil's case, you also have a lot of other special factors there. Clearly, they haven't instituted the reforms that allow their economy to be more flexible to adjust to change their growth. Model in the last decade, they've been too reliant on Chinese-driven growth, and they also haven't been particularly fiscally prudent. Those things are starting to catch up with them. Despite the measures that、uh, President Rousseff has taken, despite her vetoes, you're still on a path that is not clearly fiscally sustainable, and that's why markets are very concerned about this. Okay, let's look at Norway now. You've been looking at this relationship in commodity currencies between falling commodities and the manufacturing base, this so-called Dutch disease issue. Explain that a little bit and tell us what so, you've been concluding. So the Dutch disease, it takes its name from. Uh, in the 1970s, when natural gas reserves were discovered off the coast of the Netherlands, they had an influx of new employment in the economy associated with the natural resource sector. It drove up wages. Which of course drew people out of the manufacturing sector. The manufacturing sector became very uncompetitive, and so you saw a loss of manufacturing jobs, a big boost in services jobs because now you've got a lot of wealthier people running around. But then, once natural gas prices fell or demand fell, then you didn't have a manufacturing sector to fall back on.、Yeah. And that's the history of Dutch disease. So what we've witnessed in the last 12 years, you know, basically from 2000 to 2012, is one of the greatest commodity booms in global history. And in that、um, boom, commodity producers all over the world have seen the clear effects of Dutch disease in terms of a shift away from their manufacturing sectors. Where are you looking at? You're looking at Norway,、so、Australia. The study that we did was looking at the G10 commodity. Currencies, so Norway, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. The same argument could be made for the emerging markets. Just the data are, are not as good for us to make、okay. as compelling a case. And the real issue here is that actually, with the exception of Norway, you have seen clear evidence of Dutch disease in Norway, because they subsidize their manufacturing sector and because of the petroleum fund sort of alleviating some of the exchange rate appreciation effects. It isn't as bad, but Norway still does suffer from a significant downturn in growth and in potential growth here associated with the decline in their resources sector, and that's what ultimately is driving the Norges Bank and their cut this morning. 
And do you think this kind of cut is going to be followed elsewhere in this kind of post-Fed staying pat climate until we get further clarity from the Fed? Are we now going to start seeing central banks take uh, the ball by the horns? We do think so, certainly in, in Europe, right? So for instance, we do expect that the Rix Bank probably has one more cut left in them. We actually don't think they should, but we think that they may, given how focused they are on their exchange rate and on their inflation, which actually has rebounded. The other place that clearly we're looking for cuts is from the ECB. And in this case, not necessarily a cut, but an extension of its QE program. So they've committed uh, one of their two commitments is a time-based commitment that they will continue their QE program through at least September 2016. We expect that perhaps as early as the October meeting, but certainly by the December meeting, they are going to extend that by another six to nine months. There is an outside chance, I wouldn't put too much weight on it at this point, that they could actually cut rates further. It was kind of interesting that President Draghi at the last press conference did not explicitly rule that out mm. in the way he has in the past. But we don't think that that's likely at this stage. But you shouldn't rule that out in the future. And there's some talk about the VW issue perhaps infecting ECB thinking. Is that a bit too far-fetched? I don't think it's far-fetched. I think whether they're actually discussing this at this stage, but you know, the key driver for us is what's driving that push for them to go towards more policy easing is their inflation, right? That break-even inflation rate implied by linkers have clearly dropped. Inflation is not as strong as they had expected. And in fact, the reported data that we see, they themselves admit probably overstate the rate of services inflation. So they're very concerned about the inflation picture. On the flip side, they've been very positive on the economy and the data have been quite good as we saw with the yes. PMIs yesterday. But if you start to get yes. industrial confidence sure. affected by you know one of the largest yeah, industrial indeed. producers in Europe, that's an issue. And this issue about negative rates, we're seeing a little bit more talk about it. Is it starting to become a familiar discussion point? Well, I think that's the really, really interesting thing going on in the background here is that central banks, a year ago, everybody thought that they had this handled the way you deal with the zero lower bound is through QE. Increasingly, you're starting to see central banks consider that, A, actually negative nominal rates may be a way to go here. So you've not only seen central banks actually do this in Switzerland, in Sweden, in Denmark, taking their rates to substantial negative rates and some success there, which should cause other people around the central banking community to look, especially at a place like Sweden. You look, Sweden growth is doing well. Inflation, actual inflation has rebounded and consumer inflation expectations have rebounded. Okay. Well, just finally, Marvin, I mean, if that is going to be the climate, what, what does that mean for the Fed in its deliberations? Because the Fed is looking pretty boxed in by low growth. And if there's this going to be this big divergence, is that something that they are now going to say, actually, we're going to stay where we are? Or I think you got to be careful about thinking about where they're boxed in on growth. Growth in the United States continues to be quite robust. And that is one thing that they can rely on. You can see that the employment growth has been quite substantial. The rate of unemployment is falling. We have actually pushed back our Fed call for them to hike until March, not December. Right. And the reason for that is we do think that at this stage, they clearly seem to be wanting to use whatever excuse they can not to hike. And we do see some further declines in inflation associated with past exchange rate depreciation. But by the time you get to March, it's going to be pretty much unavoidable for them. They're going to have the unemployment rate around 4.8%. You're going to see rising wages at that point. 
it's going to be hard for them to say, we can't hike at this point. So they really will run out of excuses, and we do expect that they will do it then. Okay, we'll look out for that. My thanks to Marvin Barth of Barclays. Keep up to date with all the latest Forex news and analysis on our website, ft.com forward slash fx. Do email me on roger.blitz at ft.com, B-L-I-T-Z, for any thoughts on FX and or this podcast. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.